0: Hey y'all, you're listening to the Faith Church Sermon Podcast. We are so excited that you're connecting with us today. It is our desire for you to grow as a result of the resources we provide here. We pray that this blesses you today as you seek to know Him more. I grew up in a Christian home and church and I spent much of my childhood going to Christian conferences and retreats. And every time on the first day, the speaker would say something like, We are coming to worship the God of the universe and we want to give him our undivided attention. And so, whatever troubles you're carrying with you, let's go ahead and just leave them at the door. And let's not bring worldly uh, struggles and our, and our worldly distractions in with us. I remember one year, I just finished fifth grade and I got my first ever C on my report card. Now, in my family, that is absolutely unacceptable. And so I actually hid my report card from my parents. And I went to this conference on Long Island that I went to every year. And like clockwork, I left my baggage at the door. And the first day or two was an absolute blast. But then this sense of dread began to set in as I started counting down the days and then the hours until I had to leave and go and, and pick up my baggage right where I left it. Have any of you ever felt that before? where you know that something bad is coming. So starting today, I want to invite you to to take that burden, whatever is weighing on you in life, and and to bring it in with you. Because when we come here, when we gather, we are coming to encounter Jesus. And, And throughout Scripture, people brought their burdens to Jesus because where else would you want your burdens to be than before the God of the universe? And so in the moment, we're going to pray, and then we're going to dive into the word. And I just want to invite you to take that burden, whatever that burden in your life is, and to bring it in with you. And I believe that Jesus may just speak into that very thing today. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you that we can gather. We've come to meet you, and we just ask that you would meet us right where we are today. So would you take a moment and just pray for yourself and whatever burden you're carrying, would you ask God to meet you right where you are? And then would you take a moment and pray for me that these would be God's words and that they would be helpful to you. God, I ask that you remove me today and that you would speak. We've come to meet with you. Jesus, would you come and meet with us? Would you encounter us today in the way that our lives would be radically transformed, that when we leave here, we know you better and we love you more than right now? We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. We're wrapping up a series called Living Wisdom. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up or turn them on to Psalm 131. Now, this is a very short psalm, so I'm going to read the entire thing. This is the word of the Lord. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. David is pointing us towards contentment. And just as I invited you to bring your burdens into this, David comes into this with his own burdens. And in the midst of those burdens, he is able to find contentment. And so let's try to understand that today. Now, I have a confession to make. I have always struggled to love the Psalms. And the big part of that is that they just didn't really make much sense to me. So take a look at verse 2, for example. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like, what does that even mean? No one talks like this today. Try fitting weaned child into your Monday morning staff meeting. See how that goes. (laughs) Or your next date night hey, how was your weekend? It was fantastic. I feel like a weaned child. <laughs> so what does David mean? A wean child is a child that has just stopped breastfeeding. Now, there is a, a debate even among biblical scholars about at what age a child stops breastfeeding. And we are not going to engage that debate today. <laughs> but the reality is that the age of this child is actually irrelevant to the point That David is trying to make. It's important to remember here that the psalms are songs and and, and poems. And so just like we use imagery and analogy in the songs that we sing, David is doing the same thing here in Psalm 131. This psalm is is a psalm of contentment and hope. And so David compares this contentment, this overwhelming sense of peace and hope, to that of a weaned child with its mother. And so now the question is but why? Why would David draw this analogy to a weaned child? So when a child is newborn, it can get fussy. It cries when it wants to eat, cries when it doesn't want to eat, it cries when it wants to sleep, it cries when it doesn't want to sleep. But a weaned child has learned to trust its mother. As long as it's with its mother, it knows that it'll be taken care of. And it knows that everything will be okay. Fundamentally, a wean child is content. If we go over to our children's ministries and we survey or poll the kids there, how many do you think are concerned about inflation? Or gas prices? Do you think they're worried about how they're going to pay their bills this month? Or if they're ever going to get married and have their own family? But do you know what will worry them? If mom or dad or grandparents don't come pick them up after service. But as long as they're with mom or dad, all is well with the world. And David compares his contentment and his peace to that. And he says, I have peace like a child has. And I don't know about you, but I want that. And so when we look here at Psalm 131, we see two things that keeps David content. In verse 1, David begins this psalm by saying, my heart is not proud, my eyes are not haughty. Notice here that David does not say, my lips are not boastful, or my actions are not arrogant, or my leadership is not egomaniacal. But instead, David says, my heart is not proud, and my eyes are not haughty. David is content because his heart is not proud. What we often do is we take boasting and arrogance and ego and we separate it from pride. And we're told that pride is a good thing as long as it doesn't become arrogance. But the reality is that boasting and arrogance and ego is merely the outward expression of the pride that's already within us. To put it in other words, boasting and arrogance and ego are the symptoms, but pride is the disease that robs us of our hope. And so David is uninterested in treating symptoms. He's going right for the disease. Another way that pride often manifests itself in our society and in our lives is as insecurity. And we often miss this because insecurity looks like the opposite thing from arrogance. Some of us look at ourselves and we think, hey, look how great I am. I've made it. And some of us look at ourselves and we think, look how pathetic I am. I'm never going to make it but they're really two sides of the same coin. And if you look at those two sentences, you realize that the main character, that the subject in both of them is us. But David says that his first step toward contentment is that he isn't solely focused on himself. God does not mince words when he talks about a proud heart and haughty eyes. A few weeks ago, Pastor Joe preached out of Proverbs 6. In the Proverbs 6, there is a list of things that God hates. And the first thing on this list is haughty eyes. In Proverbs 3, it says that God opposes the proud. Later in Proverbs 21, God tells us that haughty eyes and a proud heart are sin and pave the way for wickedness. So God hates pride. He calls it sin and wickedness, and he opposes those who hold on to it. See, we live in a society today that teaches us the opposite. That says the keys to contentment or the keys to mental health is to be proud of yourself. How often do we hear, be proud of who you are, take pride in your accomplishments, be proud of your progress, and yet that is completely opposite of what the Bible teaches. And I've realized that that may be a difficult truth to swallow today, but it's right here in the text. My heart is not proud, my eyes are not Haughty. The first step to David's contentment is that his focus is not on himself. So, what does that look like for us today? There's a story that has resonated with me about Walt Bethinger, who's the CEO of the Charles Schwab Corporation. And he was talking about an upper level business strategy class that he took his senior year of college. And this is what Mr. Bethinger had to say. I had maintained a 4.0 average all the way through, and I wanted to graduate with a perfect average. It came down to the final exam, and I spent many hours studying and memorizing formulas to do the calculations for the case studies. The teacher handed out the final exam, and it was on one piece of paper, which really surprised me because I figured it would be much longer than that. Once everyone had their paper, he said, go ahead and turn it over. Both sides were blank. And the professor said, I've taught you everything I can teach you about business in the last 10 weeks, but the most important message, the most important question is this, what is the name of the lady who cleans this building? And that had a powerful impact. It was the only test I ever failed, and I got the B that I deserved. Her name was Dottie, and I didn't know Dottie. I'd seen her, but I'd never taken the time to ask her name. I've tried to know every Dottie I've worked with ever since. Who are the Dotties in your life? Because every single one of us has Dotties in our lives. Do you know who takes out your trash at work every day? Or what about the team that swoops in here after this last service and takes out every chair and then comes back and resets this entire room before we walk back in here next Sunday? When we look at someone, when we see someone or meet them, whether it's a CEO or a colleague, whether it's a friend or a spouse, whether it's the cashier at Aldi, how often do we size them up and we ask, how does this person fit my life? How do they fit my plan? Can they get me where I want to go? Do we see others through our eyes and for our purposes? Or do we see them through God's eyes? As children of God who bear his image and are created for his purposes. Counter to everything we're taught today about focusing on ourselves and, and building out our experience for our future, David tells us that his first step to contentment is taking the focus off of himself. And this is despite being king and having the highest rank in Israel. David doesn't take it to heart. He doesn't let himself feel superior. The next thing David says then, as he says, I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. Now, when David says great or wonderful, he's not referring to the value, but rather he's saying, I don't, I don't worry about things that are beyond my reach or things that are out of my control. So if David were here today, he might say, I don't worry about things that are above my pay grade. But, But here's the remarkable thing. This is David, the king of Israel. What could possibly be above the king's pay grade? What matters could there possibly be that the king can't handle? And yet David, in all of his authority and power, he actively relinquishes that control to God. Do you know what breaks your contentment? What steals your peace, robs your hope, dwelling on things that you cannot control. But if we're honest, we are so good at this, aren't we? Thinking about things or or commenting on things that we have zero control over is so ingrained in us that it is a multi-million dollar industry. Just look at how many tabloids line the checkout lane next time you're at the grocery store. For some of us, our trigger is world events. So we see that headline that that worries us or we see a social media post that we don't like and we just can't help ourselves. We have to comment on it. For others, our trigger is drama. It doesn't matter if it's a world-class and world-famous celebrity or, or if it's your neighbor down the street. When you hear that someone's going through something, oh, we gotta be involved. We have to play a part in it. For many of us, it's matters in our own lives that are beyond our reach. Some of you are worried that you're never going to get married and and have kids and have your own family, and and others are are fighting to save their marriage and keep their family together. Some of you lose sleep at night because you can't find a job, and you're not sure if you're ever going to find a job. And then there are others of you who dread walking into that toxic workplace day after day after day. And part of the growing anxiety in any of these things is this reality that so much of it is out of our control. Just think for a moment, how often do you get frustrated or do you lose peace because you've seen this headline that worries you? Or because of some drama that is going on in your life or that surrounds you, or something else that, that you don't have control over. If I can just be honest, I struggle with this myself. There are few things in life that unnerve me more than something that is out of my control. My colleagues will tell you that I absolutely hate being blindsided. This is one of my biggest pet peeves, because when I'm blindsided, I've been stripped of my control. And I also don't have enough time to prepare for whatever situation I'm about to walk into. And so in my faith journey, what this looks like is that I am rarely afraid that God's will won't come to fruition. Rather, I fear that God's will does come to fruition and that his will is not what I want. And yet, I've discovered that God shows up most clearly In those moments where I'm forced to let go. This is hard. Some of you are hearing this and you're thinking there is no way that you can let go. Like you need to be a part of this or you have to come up with a solution for this. However, for David, this flows naturally from his heart not being proud. You see, David sees himself and the world around him through God's eyes instead of his own. And so David acknowledges that these matters belong to God and not to him. God has called each of us to something, but God has called none of us to everything. And when we insist on reaching for everything, we lose our contentment. After Jesus' resurrection, he's walking with Peter and he says to Peter, follow me, And Peter replies by pointing at the disciple John. And he says, what about him? I want you to know this Jesus' response to Peter. He says, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. And those same words should resonate with us today. So David lays out these two conditions for contentment first switching that focus off of ourselves and onto God, and then subsequently seeing ourselves and, and the world around us through God's eyes and focusing on those things that, that God has called us to and relinquishing to God those things that are out of our control. But notice what's missing in this psalm. David makes no mention of circumstances, David has countless prayers and psalms where he cries out to God and he asks God to deliver him or he asks God to alter his circumstances or to avenge him. He asks God for deliverance when King Saul was looking to kill him and when son Absalom rises against them, And over and over again, David begs God to alter his circumstances or deliver him from them, but not here in Psalm 131. When David prays about contentment, there's no mention of his circumstances. Because our contentment is not dependent on our circumstances. Contentment, hope, peace, joy, these aren't emotions that ebb and flow with the conditions or or the surroundings around us. But this is a state of being that we experience in the midst of our circumstances. Society they tells us that if you're lonely, Contentment comes in the relationship. That if you're bored, contentment comes with a move. If you're sick, contentment comes in healing. And if you're unemployed, contentment comes with a job. And and society pushes us to run towards those things. Go pursue that. If you're not content, if you're not happy, change direction. Get married. Have kids. Move halfway around the world. But all of that is a lie. Because here's the truth. If you're not married single, you're not going to be, or if you're not content single, you're not going to be content married. If you're not content without children, you're not going to find your contentment in having kids. If you're not content in the Lehigh Valley, you're not going to find it moving halfway around the world. If you're not content in the midst of illness, you're not going to find that contentment in getting better. Because our contentment is not dependent on our circumstances. Rather, we find contentment when we shift our focus off of ourselves and onto God. Seeing ourselves and seeing this world around us through God's eyes. And then we we experience and we share his love in the midst of those circumstances. For some of you, this, this could be an encouragement because you're journeying through some heavy, heavy stuff be reminded that that your contentment is not dependent on those circumstances. Your contentment is not on the other side of these things. It is here, it is now, it is available. Bring your burdens to Jesus. And some of you are going through some hard things because of your own doing. You're the one that broke a relationship. Or you've gossiped and hurt someone. You've caused pain in someone's life. And as a result, you've lost your contentment. Okay, bring that burden to Jesus. Some of you have lost contentment because of the sin that you're living in. David, as he writes this, there have been times in his life that that his life gets messed up because of his own doing. David gets this because he has been both the victim and the perpetrator. And here's what the awesome thing about the kingdom of God is: is that God sees all that and God welcomes all that, and God says, "If you've lost contentment, if you've lost peace for whatever reason, come to me." And let's work through that together. So, for some of you, your contentment, your joy today, may be found in repentance and coming to God and saying, "God, I'm a sinner." And I'm living my life in ways that, that I don't want to live anymore. Would you forgive me? Would you help me? And for some of you, this, this could be your wake-up call because you've been diligently building your life, believing that you'll be content when, when all those circumstances are finally arranged in the right order. But when you get there, you can't find it. And, and you can't find peace or hope and, and, and you're, you're wondering why you're not content. And I know because I've been there. But don't take my word for it. In 2005, NFL quarterback Tom Brady was only 27 years old. But he already had three Super Bowl rings, was Super Bowl MVP, and had multiple accolades to his name. That year, he sat down with 60 Minutes and was asked what he learned about himself amid his rise to the top of the NFL. And this is what He said, Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I've reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me? I think it's got to be more than this. I mean, this can't be all it's cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27. And what else is there for me? There's this famous children's book, and maybe some of you remember reading it or reading it to your kids, it's called If You Give a Mouse a Cookie, one of my favorites. And the book starts off, if you give a mouse a cookie, he's going to ask for a glass of milk. When you give him the milk, he's probably going to ask you for a straw. When he's finished, he'll ask for a napkin, and so on and so on. At the end, the mouse draws a picture, he wants to hang it on the refrigerator. And the book closes by saying, then looking at the refrigerator will remind him that he's thirsty. And he'll ask for a glass of milk. And chances are, if he asks for a glass of milk, he's going to want a cookie to go with it. A simple children's book with so much truth. We can't earn, achieve, build our way to contentment. Because if we build this way, the moment we get there, we realize that contentment is just a little bit out of our reach. And when we get there, we realize that it's just a little bit out of our reach. David closes out the psalm by calling on his people to put your hope in God. Contentment, simply stated, is putting our hope in God. And so here's a couple of practical ways that we can do that. Number one, unplug. There are two things that social media has done very well in our society. The first, it has gotten us to constantly compare ourselves to others. It has taught us that we can find contentment if we just look like our favorite influencer, or we just live like our friends live. And it's conditioned us to, to look up to some people and then look down on others, all based upon what we see on our screens. The second thing social media has done is it tempts us to respond to every headline that we see come across our feed. It stirs our emotions and it moves us from loving our neighbors to hating our neighbors and from loving our enemies to believing that there are people in this world that even God cannot love. And what it does is is it creates these rifts, and I've seen it do this, it creates these rifts in families, and then it robs hope from people. Do not allow yourself to be ruined by something that you cannot control. Some of you need to go home today and delete your social media accounts. Some of you need to delete the apps off your phone so that when you log on, you got to do it through computer. Some of you need to set screen time limits on your phone. You know what you need to do. So stop making excuses and do it. The second thing that we can do is we can come to God. When David says, put your hope in God, he reminds us that that those things that are out of our control are not out of God's control. We start off today by saying, when, when we come here, let's not leave our baggage at the door, but let's bring those burdens in with us. And this is not just true Sunday, but any day of the week, when you come to God, when you pray, when you come before the word, bring your burdens in, Whenever we talk to God, God invites us to bring our burdens to him. And yet there's, there's another side to prayer. What's really interesting is that in the scriptures, it differentiates between prayer and supplication. And, and God is the center of our prayers. But when, if the only time we ever come to God is to ask for things, then we become the center of our prayers and of our faith journey. So God invites us to bring our burdens to him, and yet prayer is something more. It is our conversation, it is our fellowship with God. So try this, take some time every day to just talk to God. This isn't time to ask for things, but just to talk with him. Talk about your day as you would talk with a friend. Talk about what frustrates you, what excites you. Think about how God has provided for you that week and and maybe just take the time to say thank you. This is our fellowship with God. And here's the thing, as we begin to fellowship with God, you will find that, that we begin to unite with God. And as we begin to unite with God, we begin to see ourselves and our circumstances as our loving Heavenly Father sees them. We live in a society that teaches that the keys to contentment are to be proud of yourself, And if necessary, to change or alter your circumstances. And a lot of people pay a lot of money to get that advice. I think all of us know deep down, there is no guarantee that our circumstances will ever change. What can change, though, is our focus. And when we take that focus off of ourselves and we refocus it on God, we begin to see ourselves and the world around us, including our circumstances, through God's eyes instead of our own. And it is in the midst of that that we find contentment and hope. It's as the hymnist writes, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. And we confess that we often make this about us. And so God, we just ask that that you would redirect our focus. That would be less of us and more of you. And God, there's so many of us here that are carrying burdens. And God, would you just carry those for us? Would you pick up those burdens and, and would you direct our focus to you? and help us to follow you, and help us to walk with you. And As we leave here, God, will we be laser-focused on you, and would you take those burdens from us, and would you help us rest in that contentment and rejoice in that hope? We love you, Jesus, and we pray these things in your precious name, amen.